And we are live with our 94th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. Uh, we had the Hunter Dev team on, but last week we were at Virtual Opsec Days for OWASP, and we're teaching online our secure code review course. Um, so, like, yeah, and, but today it's just me and Ken. Uh, we're going to talk through some news, um, some of the things that came about from the course, uh, probably focus in on something just whatever seems to suit our fancy for today. Um, I know we've got we've had some discussions about actually doing deep dives into CSP and a couple other items uh, that came up in the course because those are useful um, discussions to have. Uh, so those will be upcoming episodes. But for day, today, we just wanted to get back into things. Um, hope everybody's staying safe uh, and yeah, I guess still quarantining or kind of or whatever you're doing. Just do it safely. Um, yeah, first things first. Uh, let's talk about the course from last week, Ken. Yeah, so that was weird. <laughs> no, no, it was it was good. <laughs> it was good. It was weird, though, because we did it. We did it virtually. So the couple things about that are, for one, you don't get to talk and see the people. You, you get chat. You get um, so the students that were on, you know, we got to chat with them. But um, it's not the same. And I'm sure we could have unmuted and, and I don't know if we're allowed to, uh, like, you know, ask people to put on their, their video or whatever. But either way, it, it wouldn't have been very conducive because we had so much to cram in within the two four hour periods that we went through. And I know we were like the second day, just like, crap, we got to like hurry up. Yeah. Um, so the time yeah, format. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, overall, like like what you're saying, the time format, right? Like trying to push so much data into two four-hour sessions, which we we traditionally expand out to two to three days, right? Of of training courses and exercises and everything. So the exercises were very compressed, um, and then it was just you and I. I like I I, I go back and forth because right? everybody's getting used to doing Zoom meetings. And you and I have been doing the podcast for a little while. We kind of understand the cadence of, all right, you got to stop for longer than you expect to let someone else to speak, um, which is not necessarily a person's normal reaction. Yeah, it's not intuitive, not at all. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it, it, yeah, like, I went back and forth on that, but then I ultimately decided it was a good thing just to have, like, the chat channels and to use it that way to actually let the students ask questions, give our answers. Uh, it seemed to work, especially the second day. I, th- I felt like we really kind of got into a rhythm, but it was also because we were cramming so much so much information down their throats. Okay, we got to talk about authentication and authorization and now, yeah, auditing and injection and here's a story and now go do it. Okay, you're, you got to be done. You got to be done, right? Like it was just... Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like overall, I should probably we both probably should should go back overall. And I think you mentioned this success. I would say yeah. success uh, went well, got good feedback um, and definitely enjoyed giving it. It was just uh, different. It was a different format. That's all. And it was um, it requires some adjustment, really. So we adjusted. Um, but one thing I got for uh, so for for feedback, um, not for our course, but just for like the virtual format is that, uh, and this is pretty interesting. It makes sense. So Greg Ost, uh, who had been on this podcast before, he's my boss. He was saying that from like a, a manager's perspective, it's very easy to what's nice about this. Like maybe we should continue doing this, uh, like as a, as an industry or as a group of people or whatever, because it's easier to coordinate and give people time off. Um, cause you're talking about two, four hour windows and, yeah, granted, nobody expects you to like go and get a ton of work done. But in terms of taking off an entire week and then budgeting for, um, you know, travel for the conference ticket for um, food and all that stuff, and just like trying to get basically trying to get this all sort of approved, thumbs up, and all that, um, much less hassle in a virtual format where you never leave your house, obviously. Um, 
and it's only like incrementally hitting your or it's only a small chunk of your day that gets taken away he was just like that's really good like that's a really good way to do it yeah and that's i i mean and i would and i know we're we're interested in running it again right um we'll modify the course and actually um you know kind of fork it from what we do in person because there's other things that we could yeah that we could facilitate Know, as far as exercises and having a Slack channel and, you know, demoing things in a different way or sending out videos or I, I feel like there is a, an opportunity there to, to really learn something in that kind of smaller class format, like class time format, as opposed to, hey, everybody's got to come to this place for three days. Like, like you said, um, it works when you're going to a conference or whatever, and you've already got the time off and you got the budget for it. But I do feel like we picked up a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have been able to afford to go to, you know, OWASP Global Amsterdam or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Stefan yeah. Edwards. I guess my, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just keep, keep, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say like, I, I, as far as pushing out the, the stuff that we do and having more people learn, it feels like an easier format, especially for students, right? Like, you know, it's the same thing as B-sides or whatever. They, you know, are only going to go to their local conference because they just don't have the budget to go to, you know, Black Hat, right? So, yeah. What, what, what was Stefan saying? Oh, no, just uh, I think I brought this up to you. He was just saying we should do like a, a virtual AppSec, absolute AppSec conference. So, um, he had a few ideas on how to run that. And obviously we have friends who have organized conferences. So, um, I think it's good. It's, we talked about you and I just briefly, I mean, it might be a good, good thing to, to, to basically fire up as a, uh, virtual absolute AppSec conference. Um, yeah. So yeah, we can figure that out. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like, I like the idea and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the format. Um, a little bit and maybe put it out there in uh, general on the on the Slack channel, um, see who, who we can get. I mean, you know, I think about even just the people that we've had on the podcast, right? Like we get Kevin to, in to talk about cores. We get, you know, Stefan to come in and do his thing and we can Google whatever it is about because we're going to have to do that anyway. Um, you know, we can have Horace here, whoever just come in and actually give us an idea of, hey, this is what we've been working on. Like Neil, not at all, right? Like come talk about CSP and you know how that's really that really works or Evan Johnson. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think it would, it could be fun and if people are interested. Or I mean I would be interested. So let's yeah, we can put that together. Yeah, I think we could get some good folks to to give I, I actually asked Stefan if we were to do it. I only want to do it if he keynotes a um, talk on software history. Oh yeah, controller said, "Don't call it AA." That's funny. I now 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 we're definitely gonna call it virtual AA. There, controller. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, just because when people tell me not to do stuff, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> oh, good times. Anyway, so uh, but I was asking Stefan to keynote um to keynote a talk on software composition and security throughout the ages, so to speak. Right. I mean, it's a brief sort of history that software has existed, but I would love for him to kind of go through it. And he agreed. He said he'd do it. So, um, yeah, that's like my main thing I want to see. It's just him talk about it. And, and it's funny cause you're right. Like from the course, we had lots of people ask about CSP, uh, cause we brought it up and uh, talk about CSP and how that's a finding. If you don't have CSP, uh, in your application, um, on the course. So yeah, Neil giving a deep dive would be super, well, even just like, this is how you get started would be a great. Yeah. Sort of talk. I, I, I think leave it up to the, uh, my crew was talking about it, right? Like whatever they want to do. So, um, yeah. so watch for that. Um, apparently that's got bigger legs than we intended right for today anyway because yeah. uh, we're, we're both pretty interested in it and that's how these things get started so um yeah. otherwise right uh there's been a lot of security news over the past week i 
I know in general, I'd like to know you about, about you. And I know you get, you support the, the whole bug bounty stuff at GitHub. Um, I've been seeing, cause I've got, I've got a couple of small clients that have small programs that help like triage vulnerabilities or go in and, and, you know, give them a, yeah, this is a false positive or it's a not type analysis. Um, are you seeing an increase in submissions since the quarantine took effect and, or has that leveled out at this point? No, we've definitely seen an increase and um, we've had a couple good ones. Um, overall, do you want to know the, the just sheer number or do you want to know quality analysis? <laughs> so first sheer number, right? Like, because uh, I've noticed a, dec- a, a definite like, like increase in number, but the quality hasn't been Right. It feels like a lot of people just dipping their toes in. And I'm like, dude, you didn't check the out of scope list, right? Like stuff like that. I've been seeing a lot more of. But you know, you run a much bigger program. So that that hence the reason I'm bringing it up. I, you know, I'm interested to hear what that what your what your analysis is. Yeah, it's actually the same exact one as yours. Um, it feels like a, when you said that, I was like, man, he's inside my head, because that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like it's a, a lot of people dipping their toes in. And um you know, it's like, I'm not criticizing that, but you know, sometimes it makes for a rough duty day when you come, especially if I feel really bad for anybody, we we're doing a rotation right now. Um, and anybody who lands on a Monday, it's going to have a hard month, hard day that haven't been said, we all try to like chip in and help each other out. But, um, uh, yeah, even throughout the week, it's pretty high. And it's, it's a lot of people that just are kind of clearly not, experienced which is sort of we've talked about before a couple times like that's pretty much what a bug bounty is um not not sorry Oof, no, no no don't misquote me on this one hold on sorry there's a large percentage of people that are dipping their toes and they're getting that experience from bug bounty there are however a smaller much 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 smaller percentage of experienced professionals who do an amazing job they get called out to this hacker one and bug crowd events and so that that is not the representative that is not representative of who i'm talking about i'm talking about the greater mass of people getting into it so um the good and bad is that and here's some tips real quick since we're on the subject here are some tips that you can do to um improve your bug bounty um throughput or the effort involved. One is to set up automatic filters. If it triggers on any keywords, things you know about, but it's really not, you know, considered an issue. Set up those triggers, um, hook in chat ops via the uh, chat ops that will call the API of your bug bounty platform. Um, So you can pretty quickly from the chat application of your choice, uh, close down submissions, um, give like canned responses, which is another thing, draft up a bunch of canned responses for uh, anything that you know about, anything that you, that you see multiple times and you don't want to keep commenting on, draft up a canned reply. Um, and then besides that, uh, really be very, very uh, specific in your the details of your program, the scope, what's out of scope, um, That'll go a long way, and then you can always point back to it. Uh, and then, um, and last thing we, we do I, that I really like is an automatic triage process from Slack, talking about um, chat ops. Uh, you know, just automatically triaging with chat ops uh, an issue, so that it's automatically formatted and written up and created into like Jira, Trello, in our case, GitHub issues. Very basic. That'll like, get you started on your program. Cool. So the last one was automatically triaging things into your uh, bug tracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, uh, for whatever. sure. Yeah, yeah. So, and sorry if I split up. I think maybe my connection wasn't great there, but um, yeah, hopefully that helps somebody. But um, yeah, we're seeing an increase in, in bug bounty submissions for sure. Cool. Uh, I actually just tweeted that out. Sorry. <laughs> After you oh, did you? It. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. That's good. I mean, that's a list to have, right? I, I, I think we run into a lot of that. I know, you know, those, those smaller programs that I'm talking about, we've done a couple of those things. It's not automatically triaged, but it is like, you know, the chat ops, that was huge, right? Just being able to, 
as, as someone that's like coming in and helping them out, like I get invited to a Slack channel and then I monitor that Slack channel and then can actually like make changes. I can, I can do everything from the Slack channel. I don't have to go to the program website itself. It made a huge difference in being able to quickly assess. So um, yeah. And you can clarify there if you want to on that, you know, respond to me and tell me I'm full of crap and you really didn't say that. I was going to quote yeah. you and say that the mass, mass majority or that uh, bug bounty was just, you know, people dipping their toes in. There weren't any professionals, but yeah, I decided that probably would you know, start a firestorm. So, oh my God. Yeah. I don't need that. These we don't, days. don't need any more trolling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that I'm having a problem with it, but uh, yeah, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just old and tired and don't want to deal with it. That's really what it comes down to. Feeling like really, really just like this COVID bullshit, man. I'm just like eh, stuck inside. Um, I mean, I know that's everybody's got their own stuff. It's worse for some, better for others, depending on how you look at it. Anyways, point is, I'm sick of it. I'm sure everyone watching is sick of it. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. So uh, don't troll. Yeah. Don't make it worse. <laughs> or do troll on, and ben, let's have ben, some ben. fun. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but be prepared. It ain't going to be fun for no. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so anyways, uh, where are we going with that? I have no idea. We're off the rails today. Like usual. Oh, it's fine. I mean, the bug bounty stuff is always interesting. I, I mean, that, the, the whole reason I wanted to talk about it was because I do see that increase, right? I see people jumping into it, which I also think is a great thing, right? No, we, the, the facilitator that we had for our course, um, she was talking about how she got invited to Hacker One as a student, right? Like doing one of the Hacker One events and how much she learned from that, right? Like, so like having that, like, I don't want to discourage people from jumping into bug bounties at all. Because you know, I wish that I had that resource as I was getting into the industry just to try things out in a safe manner. Because there's a lot of stuff that you know, a lot of tools that I would just spin up on the internet. And I know at the time, right, we're probably, it's very, it was a very gray style activity for so long. Um, you could go identify SQL injection and all these websites, but what was the point? And there was always the legal issues and everything else that went along with it. So you may have identified it, but it never got patched or it never got reported back to the developers because there was no path. Um, that being said, you're probably not going to find that same thing. But at the very least, you'll learn how to use Burp. You'll learn how to, you know, run some of the tools that are out there, and and see what value they provide. It's a much easier or a much better system for training those people up than just you know turning them loose. So, well, anyway. and one other thing to mention is that which I thought about it afterwards was um the 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 um. The assistant, sorry, the or I don't know the name. I don't. What is it? TA or the the term for the the OWASP volunteer that that helps out with um, just a volunteer assistant, basically on the course. Um, what was really cool? She it was amazing. She did that because she was saying that like uh, basically it was easier for her to on a short timeline get approval to take the time off to do the um, training versus like going and getting. Um, Go, going and getting approval and money and all that stuff. So what she did was she she did exactly what you and I have told other people to do before, which is like, or gave suggestions when they're like, well, how do I sort of network and break in and get started? And it's like, I mean, that was super resourceful of her to just like volunteer for it. And then she got to sit there and listen to the, um, I say that like, we're so amazing. Like she got to listen to our course. Yeah, no, but uh, she had the privilege of listening to the magnificence of our course. No. Um, yeah, no, but she, she got, she got some information she would have not gotten otherwise. And I think that's like, that was like a perfect example of someone being resourceful. And uh, yeah, it was just really cool. Cause you know, we suggested that and then you see somebody actually do it, it pay off. And again, like they're probably going to do, and there probably will be more virtual conferences. So if you're trying to dip your toes in, definitely find a way to volunteer for these. And um, in our case, we've there's two of us. We really, it was nice to have an assistant. She was awesome. Um, but I don't think we leaned on her as much as maybe a, a one-person course would. 
And so it yeah. really like she basically got uh, the op. I mean, again, man, it's making it sound like so she got the opportunity, you know, but she she um she was like involved and it was cool. It was cool. She like, you know, by the way, as a side note for that salt stack thing you sent me, I've got the GitHub issue up. And in the time that you sent it to me and 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 we've started talking, like started the live podcast. I've I've already got two updates on that tab for new comments. So, <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah. So so maybe we should switch over to that now, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Here I'll put in the GitHub issue. Man, I, I need you to give the uh, summary though, because I haven't had nearly enough time to dig in. Um. Yeah. I I mean, realistically, it was a. It's an. It was an RCE, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a hot take on this one. Man, 6,000 yeah. instances exposed to the uh, the interwebs. My God, man. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Example script. Yeah, it is an RCE. And here's the... Um, I'm finding a link for the... There's like a um, proof of concept... Yeah, yeah. Well, it was an RTE, and people were using it to to spin up mining instances, right? On on, mm -hmm. I mean, why not, right? Like you you have somebody else's hardware, uh, most likely like the salt stack stuff. It it allowed you to spin up an instance that it would mine, you know, coin for you, whatever it was, whether it's Bitcoin or Monero or whatever. Um, it's an easy way to actually take advantage of those resources. Yep. <clears throat> um. I mean, there's there's a bunch of uh, there's also that saltexploit.com that kind of walks through exactly what you should be doing, right? Um, yeah, as well as the issue list. Um, yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, salt minion. Uh, it looks Man. like it started. Jeez, right? What an ex exploit started in less than a day. So F secure said that um, within a day, less than a day, they'd already seen attacks um, for these instances, the vulnerable salt instances that were exposed. Um, but um, it looks like, man, is this correct? Is it like you can shut this down by just closing ports 4505 and 4506? That, that can't be right. It could very well be. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just like catching up live in front of everybody. <laughs> uh, any compromised minion is toast, I'm guessing. Salt minions. Yep. Man. So it's part of the salt minion. Yeah. Version Damn. one, not to, not. <clears throat> Interesting. I mean, I'm not yeah, surprised. I, no, I, I mean, it, okay, here's. Right. Here's another take for today, apparently. Right. Uh, and we were talking about this is like, you know, we had this discussion with Jerry a long time ago, right? About, hey, um, there is such thing as breach fatigue. Um, and like, oh, everybody's been exposed. I like, I feel like, especially over the last like six months, and it, maybe it's because, you know, GitHub is now doing CVEs as well, but I'm totally getting like CVE fatigue and like, um, <laughs> Just exploit fatigue, right? It, it's it's mm -hmm. super. As somebody that's in the industry, and then I'm trying to like, you know, I'm looking for my own vulnerabilities and custom code on a daily basis and exploits and everything that's like that. So like, it takes something like Salt Stack that's like very severe for me to notice that something else is going on in the industry. And um, even then, I know that I'm missing stuff that I probably should be paying attention to it's really hard to keep your hands on what's important now. And, and this goes to what, you know, Jerry and Kenna and those guys do as far as like, Hey, what's the prioritization of vulnerabilities for your organization? You know, because there is so much that's coming in, but even as an industry professional, right? Like, I, and, and maybe it's, you know, me just being an imposter in the industry. And I just, you know, at some point I, d I don't care as much about it. Um, or it might just be, I don't know. I like, I just feel like I've got this whole exploit fatigue it might just be related to COVID-19 and being stuck. And all I can do is read about different things and yeah, you know, everything's the worst and I'm becoming a nihilist, right? Like Stefan is rubbing off on me. Your transition to the dark yeah. side is. 
I, I finally mean, occurring. Hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just needs to come out, come back on, and like complete the transition. So, uh, like, yeah, I, I don't know in general because I, I have a tendency to watch, like, you know, our netsec on Reddit, and you know, the the other industry like Exploit DB and everything else that's being released there. But I remember first getting into the industry, and I was I was much better at actually digging into what those CVs did, right? And what the exploits, um, like whether or not I should be concerned about it. Nowadays, like I, like I have a tendency to to swing, and maybe this is just a, a a you know this is just a result of me being more on the defensive side, I guess, and looking and trying to protect things from a code perspective. But the research that comes out of uh, Port Swigger, right, and Albino Wax over there. Um, that is, that's more like concrete. I have a lot easier time digesting and actually using on a day-to-day basis as opposed to single single instance CVEs and exploits. I, I mean, what what's your experience now that you're, you know, at GitHub? Um, like, are you monitoring that stuff as much or are you just very hyper-focused on the things that you use and that you're responsible for? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, so one thing that, I do is like, I try to take in all these feeds of information. Like even for today, when I was going through, we've got, I mean, there's, you're talking about breach fatigue and CVEs. Like there's a number of CVEs there. Uh, there are like the ghost blogging platform was hacked. There was a Indonesian site, like their biggest uh, consumer commercial site. I forget what it's called, but it's in Indonesia. That was popped. Um, man, there's probably several other breaches just in the last week or two on that. So like what I try to do is um, keep keep aggregating all that information. And the reason is, is I'm really looking for anything that might um, hit us. So like, for instance, when that article came out, like maybe, I don't know, a week or two ago, uh, a few of us were, uh, sorry, the article that uh, that was talking about, if you don't provide the algorithm for minting JWTs, it can default to none. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that came out and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, let's go look at our code and see if we're vulnerable. Or, you know, somebody says they hacked this um, platform in this specific way, or this CV doesn't impact us in some way. Um, like I sign up for the language group. I, maybe I should be talking about this stuff more. So like there's um there's several languages obviously that we code in so like I sign up for the security groups of those languages so that I get um any like new things that need to be patched uh, like whatever library needs to be patched or if the code has to be upgraded to another uh, version so like for me a lot of it is just seeing and it's it's whatever it's I you know look you run a business I have a full time job we do this podcast. Um, we both have hobbies. We've got kids. We both got wives. Um, so <clears throat> yes, it, you sort of do have to pare down to what's applicable to, or at least that's what I do. I, I pare down to what's applicable to, to like my job and, you know, and then of course, whatever's might be interesting for the podcast. But yeah, I, I think like yeah. it's what you said early on in my career. I was so much more interested in the actual like nuts and bolts of a um, CBE, but yeah, now it's like, how does it apply? And like, how do we get it fixed? And I don't know. It's just sort of the same stuff over and over again. It's very cool. I don't want to diminish the work they're doing. We need people to 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 find these exploits. We need people to secure software. We need them, even if it's just from like an awareness, like, hey, if we didn't have these people doing this, there wouldn't be, um, like, meaning if we didn't have people finding CVs, obviously we wouldn't have the industry in the way that we do now. And so there's a lot of importance on there, but yeah, probably like every CV that comes out, picking it apart and dissecting it. No, that's not, it's not it's too yeah. much out there. It's too much information. It's overloaded. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much data. Right. Um, yeah. And I know there's uh, like, like, I, I mean, I apparently I'm, you know, I, I'm plugging Kenna today. Right. Cause I know those guys do a good job of that. Um, and you know, Jerry, like we have a lot of trust and we like, we like Jerry Gamblin over there as well. Uh, he does a lot of good research, but at the same time, like that's a, it's, it's a needed service. Um, and the, the issue that I have as a, like as a consultant is it's very, 
Like I end up using the CVE database more after the fact than real time, right? Because I mm -hmm. run into like, you know, just, you know, this week I'm working on a, a code base. It's using, you know, a specific framework um, that guess what? I haven't seen in, you know, a couple of years, right? But it's been active, right. it's actively developed. And so my whole thing is, okay, part of this information gathering phase. And we always talk about this. I mean, at some point we should probably like do a, you know, episode on, hey, this is our kind of like general approach to assessments. But um, in general, what you've got is like, you know, hey, you gather information about the, the, the application that you're looking at, you go and try and find vulnerabilities after that, and then you document them, right? Just overall, that's kind of the, the, the general process. But part of my information gathering phase is, has, has started to be, well, it hasn't started to be, but for a long time has been, hey, what is, what's in the CVEDB for this specific framework for these versions? I mean, we talk about configuration checks and uh, secure code review, and that's part of it is, hey, what are you looking up? What, do, what is known about this? And what is known about the code base that could possibly be an exploit? Um, and you'll find some interesting things like serialization and um, you know RCEs, and if you you know happen to be you know testing against that specific version, it becomes an interesting thing. Um, so I, like I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that. Outside of I'm glad that those resources exist, but it's 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 really hard for me to get super excited about new exploits when they come out because they're not actively they don't actively affect me, right? And I guess that's anything in life, right? Like if it's not something that is within your realm of responsibility, you're not really gonna be super interested in it. So yeah. I don't know, but but no, yeah, like, like I also think there's been a market increase in CVEs because of GitHub's integration with the whole CVE process now, right? Thanks a lot, GitHub. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I, it's a well, good thing, but yeah. Then pay attention on Wednesday. Wink. Ooh, pay attention wink. on Wednesday. Satellite virtual conference coming out for GitHub. I'm not saying it because I work for GitHub. Well, I guess I am because I, I, I'm privy to what's going to be released on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. But the only thing I can say is watch that space on Wednesday. Watch okay. watch the, the virtual conference for, for satellite because it is going to get more interesting. That's all I can say. Okay, sweet. Oh. Yes. Well, I kind of forgot that that was even tomorrow because I don't work for GitHub, so. Now I've got my calendar. Like, I can't say anything more, but um, if you think some of the stuff we're doing is impacting stuff, then just <laughs> Wait, watch okay, out so get, okay, hold on, let me roll back. So GitHub does stuff that impacts stuff? Is that what you're... <laughs> That's about as specific as you're going to get from me, but yeah, tune in. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so like, uh, it's, it's, it's going to get more interesting, I think. Um, and, yeah. uh, very shortly. So, uh, <clears throat> Microsoft satellite, <laughs> Not a Microsoft satellite. That's funny. It's just a, it's just a satellite that, uh, no, you're, we're making a moon base. No, um, it should be pretty cool, man. Like I'm, I'm really excited and, uh, um, yeah, it's, ah, man. Can't wait. In fact, I can't wait till, well, not next week because we're gonna, we have guests next week, but the week after when it's just us, I can't wait to like run through it all and uh, get your take on how it will impact things. And uh, I was going to mention a couple things that are, uh, so like Ken Toller uh, had asked, oh my God, why is it yeah. every time I want to do a meeting these days, people are like, they need to cut their grass all of a sudden or they need, Oh my God! Here we go with this guy. Oh my God! I was just giving so, I was just giving you a Ken buck for for everything that you that you that you're working on over there for us in the security industry. I wish I was the one working on it. It's pretty awesome stuff. I mean, I'm working on securing it, but yeah. Um. Anyways, like uh, yeah, it's but, it's it had that Ken buck. He threw that into our presentation. So if you don't know, like in our course, Seth will randomly like put in. He put in, what was it, like a Ken doll? And I hadn't noticed into one of our vulnerable web apps that we walked through, because all of our course is like, it's all hands-on. It's like nine exercises, then a exercise, a 10th one that's us together. And then there's an 11th exercise, which is just you all, uh, anybody that's in the crew, um, and uh, doing it with a, a group, uh, real time. Anyways, so what, what Seth did was plant a 
Ken Barbie doll photo that took me forever. Like we had done this course probably like five times, six times before I even caught it. And then uh, I go to like open up and do a walkthrough. And then finally I find this picture of, and he put it in for me. So anyways, he now left on the virtual apps that conference, he made this Ken buck. It's like a shroot buck, but much but, more but, awesome. But much more awesome. It's good for jujitsu lessons or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so like then that was just that popped up in the course. Yeah. Sorry, but I yeah. didn't need to distract you. Yeah. No. Well, no, I'm just Ken Fuller was asking about because going back to like I think this is when I was talking about bug bounties and like doing stuff from Slack. Are we generally trusting the integrations? Um so for chat ops. Um, like, I, I don't know that, that probably just comes down to like your organization, but, um, yeah, like it's, uh, I mean, I'm not super scared about, um, us having an integration that talks to a bug bounty platform. Um, yeah. the, the one thing that would all like, if I, if I had to be like scared about anything, it'd be like paying money out. We've got some, we've got some, con one thing you can do is you can, and I think I'm going to not say the way we do it. I'm going to actually point to at um, DevSec or no, God, was it LastCon? I think it was LastCon where uh, he doesn't work for Slack anymore. I can't remember his name. So this is these details I'm giving are great, but the gist was that uh, for their integrations, Slack, um, when you spin things up, you can just use Duo to confirm. I'm not saying we do that. I'm just saying that you can do that. You can have Duo uh, like, or, or you can have it such that if you operate a command. So you, if you initiate some command, you can always have like your two factor device. Um, if it's very destructive, uh, make require that you actually confirm it. And then, um, then the integration will work. But, um, I mean, I don't really trust anything that's software to be honest with you. Just don't, um, you know, been working with software for too long. There's, I wouldn't say I trust, I would say that, that it becomes a risk, a risk based game versus reward, like everything. Right. So, yeah, uh, it's a good question though. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like if you start talking about Slack integration and webhooks in general, right? Like, um, I, I would think bug bounty would be the least of your worry. Well, it would be lower on the priority list. Like, you think about okay, so we're going to talk about GitHub Actions here in a minute, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you talk <laughs> yeah. about the access that GitHub has, like the code that's there, and the webhook itself is giving access into that into that source code, right? Like, I think right. that's more, you know, keys to the kingdom. And there's other stuff that has, you know, kind of higher priority than that bug bounty, you know, program and being able to run that outside of the, hey, you can pay bounty, you know, you can pay bounties out using that integration. So there, there is that risk to the program itself. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, don't think it's a higher priority, yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many things that um, could go wrong with integrations, but I think uh, it just comes down to like a lot of different factors on on your risk. Um, so I guess that's I it's it's like everything; it's not black and white. I you know yeah. Well, well there's no right. We always have prioritization we do about hey, what is it that you're concerned about with this application, right? I would think that you know your your hooks for identity, right, for authentication into your application are probably a little bit more important than right, like the bug bounty on the on the back end. But right, like that that's getting into like a whole different discussion of what do you use, you know third parties for like how are you utilizing webhooks and then how much do you trust the third party that you're hooking um I, I mean it's it's something that i always try to abuse when i'm like setting up a new app um right or like i'm if if the application supports webhooks it's always interesting to just stand up something random on the back end and send the webhook to it right um to see what sort of information is being sent. Like usually it's not like enough that I can actually exploit it, but at the very least, like I have a good idea of, Hey, it looks like they're hosting, you know, they're the application is running their webhook events from a different server than everything else. Right. That, that kind of thing. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't know. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep muting because of this, this noise behind me, but, uh, no um, I was going to mention one thing too, because uh, I think it's a cool idea. I mean, if anybody's in the like part of the OWASP Northern Virginia or Nova chapter, um, 
here, let me just post the link. What I think is cool about this is that I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but one thing they're doing, and I, I think more chapters might be doing this now, is uh, they're actually having secure code warrior, they're, they're hosting a secure code warrior CTF tournament. So while we're all stuck inside, they're doing this like virtual online event CTF, secure code warriors, like opened up their platform for it, which is amazing. And um, yeah, long story, long and short of it is that you can sit at home and go through this CTF and, uh, uh, you know, go through the finding the vulnerabilities. Um, it's also from that platform choosing the right fix for it. I imagine that's how the CTF goes. Um, but anyways, I just thought that was a really cool idea and uh, kind of wanted to plug that and hope that others, if you're watching this and you have an OWASP or some sort of meetup, um, not necessarily having to use Secure Code Word, but some platform like that where they've already got like the CTF type stuff available. You don't have to build it yourself. Uh, it might be a really cool, easy, low friction way to, to keep your uh, meetup rolling virtually. Yeah. No, it uh, like it is. And I've done one of those Secure Code Warrior CTFs in the past. They did one at B-Sides uh, Salt Lake City, right, for the virtual event here as well. Um, and it's pretty interesting, right? Like, I, I mean, it for me, it was more, hey, I want to take a look at Secure Code Warrior and how they're training people up on, you know, secure coding, right? Um, and so, I like, I dug through their, like, Python, Django module. Like, it, you know, it felt like a little bit of a cheat for me because there wasn't any, like, real lookup on a lot of it. Um, but there was still stuff that I missed that, you know, hey, the later versions do X, Y, and Z, right? Like, it was still useful to me as a security professional to dig through that, like, some Loaded in Python and Django before, so um, it's a yeah. They, they did a pretty good job at it, or they did a good job, right? I should say, like, um, and yeah, running those events are interesting. I know that uh, who else is doing those online ones? Um, I've seen uh, Secure Courier. I've also seen uh, SI, like the command and control people are doing them as well, right? That's how they're all focused. Um, but the, I mean, those are the two main ones that I've seen running. Yeah. So seems like a really great idea. And I just thought that like, that was super, uh, cool and like an innovative, low friction way to, to keep us all kind of busy, connected and working together and, uh, keeping our skills, uh, fresh, you know? So, yeah. and actually that's the yep. thing is like, there's, um, there's actually a couple CTFs going on, um, Man, there was one for, gosh, what will con I mean, there was one for virtual AppSec days, but there's another one that, oh man, if I can remember it, I have to look up at my uh, my my work Slack to to um, figure out what the other one was. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. Um, we had like several other things to talk about. Um, I know one of them was uh, we wanted to talk about segments, recent um, talk and the article subsequent article that was published about yes. them going from them going from a monolith to microservices and then back to a monolith. And since you and I have experience with some of that, I figured we could talk through at least some of the, uh, the, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely can talk through the pain points from both a, a functional developer standpoint as well as security. I think you can do the same. So, um, let me post the article and I don't know if you want to get us started on that conversation as I do that. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. Let's post the article up, right? Uh, so, okay. Microservices came out, right? Microservices at the time were well. Microservices were the Kubernetes of the day, right? Everybody decided that they wanted to switch to running microservices because it was all contained code, and um, so it like it. I mean, it's very similar to containerization that you separate it out. You're able to actually like do a you know small number of things, small number of functions within this you know within this one microservice, and have them all talk to each other to actually like complete the application. Um, the problem that we got to is that like that network communication and like I haven't completely read this article from Segment but I'm pretty sure it's uh, like it, it follows these lines is, hey, they wanted to go to microservices to gain those efficiencies, make it easy to you know, communicate and have the functionality and the testing. But uh, like you, 
the complexity that you introduce by going to microservices is often not talked about or it's not planned for, right? Um, so as, like, like you think about an application, you think about logging into an application and the functionality that goes into that. You log in, you provide a username and password, guess what, maybe there's one microservice that does the authentication and then there's another piece that does authorization. There's another piece that on the back end that actually has to do the database lookup. Like you could have four to 10 different microservices that are involved with one function that a user is attempting to do. Or in a monolith, guess what? Maybe that, you know, that's one page. It does the lookup, that's good. You introduce a, a, a certain aspect of complexity as far as networking goes, as far as like support goes, because now you're having to support three or four different you know, services, because a microservice is still a service at the end of the day, but three or four different services, maybe even different hardware that that's running on, and all of a sudden the cost goes through the roof, right? And I think that was the main point of this article is that Segment decided, guess what, the cost isn't worth it. Uh, let's move back to a, you know, a monolith and run everything locally, and guess what, that's gonna, you know, you know, take down our support costs, our computing costs by, you know, certain factors. So anyway, I guess that's like off on it, but what was your thought when it comes to that stuff? Well, just continuing what you were saying about the uh, cost, like they did the calculations and said that it was going to be 10,000. So for one uh, Q, one Q, uh, sorry, one worker, one Q and one customer. That's like the one-to-one-to-one -one -to -one configuration. When they did the map, math, map, when they did the math on um, running that at scale, it came out to about 10,000 microservice instance that would have to be running. So initially, you know, there's this thought on, it's not necessarily um, just like financial cost. It's also, you know, cost of uh, what it's, what it, what the intention to solve what what the cost was that they were their intention was to to sort of like reduce that cost initially was the um, difficulty of making changes. They wanted more modularity, so you could just swap out a service and it would yeah. be bite sized and it would handle whatever specific thing that it was built to handle. And if you didn't like it or it was causing issues or you needed to add to it, you could just throw in another sort of module essentially, which is a microservice, right? So the idea was to like reduce the um, the friction of introducing new stuff. At least this is what I gleaned from the article. So, you know, maybe if I'm wrong, let me know. But it sounds like they wanted to reduce the friction of introducing new functionality. They wanted to reduce the um, dependency on working in this large code base. And they would rather have separated out everything in a modular fashion. And then you've got your um, just sheer throughput which if you've got like a bunch of microservices up and running, obviously the way it works with a distributed system is a request comes in and then it's dispatched according to like sort of workload, right? And then basically once that starts, whatever worker is handling the queued item um, will do whatever it needs to do, process. Um, and that's like a one-to-one -one mapping. And so it's very like in terms of the amount of compute space that that's taking up it's very nice it's very like you know very minimal um and that's that's a big benefit the problem is and this is the the true cost is well now and it's like um we had had this conversation before it's not just code it's also like anything you've codified like even if you've written a policy in a couple yeah. years you're gonna have to go in and you're gonna need to maintain that every line of policy every line of code anything that has to be updated periodically is now tech debt. It's something that you're going to have to go and you're going to have to update. Well, now imagine maintaining all of these microservices written in maybe the same language, maybe not, maybe with different frameworks. Um, so, and then who owns those? Like, I know that that becomes a problem of just who owns this and like, maybe they're now on some new feature and they're not going to go back and maintain that microservice. And then there's the complexity of just maintenance and infrastructure. That is in and of, it, of, in and of itself another problem that can become quickly like one that's unsolvable for your team. You end up dedicating, and I think they talked about that in their talk, you end up dedicating so many people to this problem of like that you've created of, of like trying to be scalable um, that 
it now means your teams are all working on maintainability and not on new features. That's ultimately what it comes down to. So yeah. these ideas are awesome. They sound great. You go to a DevOps day conference, boom, I feel really invigorated to go back to my environment and break down the monolith and do microservices. And that sounds great. But then you get into the true cost of it and you're like, fuck, what did I just do? This fucking sucks. Like, not for everybody. Some people, this is exactly the way they want to continue operating. And that's fine. Like, if that works for you. But if you're not prepared for that cost, it can be like, damn well, it. And, I'm now in this yeah. place I don't want to be. Well, and I mean, you talk about new features versus um, like maintainability, right? Like, so there's, there's definitely industry where I think, you know, there's not enough change. It's probably the microservice model and that stability and maintainability is is ideal, right? You think about some of the banking functions and stuff that's been around for years and years. Hey, that probably makes a lot of sense as opposed to a segment or a startup where guess what? The features that are available today are going to change over the next six to eight months. Um, and so if you, if your development team, if your engineers are all focused on, hey, we've got to make sure that the maintainability is there and I'm going to spend all this time to make sure we can spin up new microservices as opposed to, hey, let's just go add this new feature to the product. You're probably going to lose customers, right? Um, and so it, it, we're not saying it's one size fits all. Um, again, but you've got to go into it with your, your eyes open as far as what the advantages and disadvantages of this are. Right? Yeah. And let me give you the security side of it because I'm currently uh, working with some, because mm. we, we've got, we've still, we've still got our monolith, but we've definitely have it with all the new features that we've expanded to. Um, and we're at a point size wise as a company. And, and I think in our life cycle where it's okay to introduce microservices. Right. And um, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit this, which I don't know. Probably people would would uh, who know who know me and my my love of Ruby and my time in Ruby will be surprised. But I actually don't enjoy reviewing Ruby code as much as I enjoy um, GoLang code. I find GoLang code to be much easier to read through to trace. Um, for whatever reason, for me, GoLang is easier to. I think it's because with Ruby, we've got like, I don't want to go into it too, too deep, but there's just Ruby's so much. Too meta. It's yeah. too meta. It's it, tracing one function as we talk about in the course, we actually have people do this and we purposely try to frustrate them um, to give them an idea of like the reality and then give them some tools, obviously, after to deal with that reality. And because and, Ruby does provide some tools to uh, make tracing a bit easier. But one function can require tracing through several, several files and, and, uh, it's just, it can get complex. So anyways, point is I enjoy the aspect of some of this newer code, which is like Golang and node and stuff like that. Now here's the security cost of microservices for one, you now, you now need to have a start establishing paved paths because a lot of this stuff is like, it's piecemeal, something like a fully fledged framework, like core, uh, Django, um, rails, and, you know, especially something like Rails and Django, where it's a little bit more structured and opinionated. Um, so not uh, obviously Rails being the more opinionated. It's actually like um, it, there's a lot of things you get for free and there's a lot of things you you basically in a, on a, in a paved path, meaning like established templating language for your HTML, established ORMs for, for uh, working with the database. Uh, established patterns for security mechanisms like C-surf prevention and uh, C-surf attack prevention and all this stuff. It's kind of built in. Well, now you need to build a new set of requirements and a new set of paid paths for these like piecemeal applications. So now you need to say, okay, this is how, these are the things you should be using for routing. These are the things you should be using for templated. These are the things we've supported, vetted, and, and we know we have, we know like the patterns for doing things insecurely in those Frameworks. So for a concrete example would be, we know these operators when used in a templating language are unsafe and lead to XSS, just an easy one. Or these are unsafe methods and these are safe methods in this ORM, just as another example. Now you have to do that all again, all over again for your, for your, for the tech stack that your new services are being built in. Then you need to come up with requirements, requirements for you're building a new microservice. Here are the things you should be doing. Right. So now you've got policies that you have to, to, to write for and codify. And now again, you're introducing more tech depth, even in the security side. 
And on top of that, you've got new things being pushed out very quickly that you now need to go and make sure that like it lines up and you, you as a security team have tooling for and that you understand. And tooling now has changed. Tooling most, most often and like with especially some organizations, tooling is like, I bought, I bought checks, check marks. I bought Fortify. I bought this product and I run this. But in reality, in like the sort of next evolution that I think some of the bleeding edge Silicon Valley companies are seeing is reliance on things like CoQL, something that's highly customized, that it's open source and that you can make checks for and that you can you can build specific tooling and security tooling uh, for whatever you want to build it for. And that's where I think like definitely security teams are, are like headed. But now when you introduce microservices, you have to do all this stuff. You have to do, you have to have these like custom tooling. You have to have paved paths. You have to have new app requirements and you need to have people that are now trained up and are like able to handle this new technology they may have not previously dealt with. So there's the, we talked about the functionality side and then there's the cost on the security side. That's, and then also inventory. That's, by the way, that's like probably one of the bigger ones is inventory. And, and of course, everybody talks about Kubernetes and everybody talks about container security. And that is definitely a thing. And that is definitely important. But I'm not even getting into that. I'm just talking about like what you like as a basic AppSec team have to do. Yeah. And inventory is a big part of that. Yep. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think as an industry, we take these kind of, you know, these swings to, hey, this is the new shiny. It's just interesting to see somebody like Segment come out and say, hey, the new shiny didn't work for us, right? Like when we really sat down and thought about it, we decided that it was better for us to go, you know, the monolith route and they'll stick with that until it makes sense, you know, until it doesn't make sense anymore, right? But it is interesting to see, you know, everybody kind of swing back and forth. So I think like, you know, in... You know, a couple more years, we're going to see people saying the same thing about Kubernetes, right? Hey, we spent all this time and, you know, to implement this, this Kubernetes to solution and then really did the numbers on it and decided it wasn't worth it. So, yeah. Anyway. By the way, Ken Toller, um, yeah, put in uh, this video um, about complexity from AWS reInvent in 2017. Oh, cool. Yeah. But sorry, Seth, but like back to what you're saying. Yeah, you, I think we both agree. There's there's like hidden costs. There's things you need to be thinking about. It might work for you. It might not. But, um, you know, one thing too is like you can definitely build a, a service dedicated to authorization um, to handle authorization between the services. You can do that. But I think it's important to realize if you built your authorization schema and it's complex enough inside of a monolith, um, it's going to be hard to, it's going to be a challenge to extract that out and doing that and do that correctly if your authorization is very complex. So it probably makes sense to have, and we talked about this in the course too, um, it probably makes sense to start creating a matrix of the expectations on various roles if you're going to go that route, even from the beginning. And then also like one thing that we, we do in our monolith, which I really like is we have an actual um, customized authorization test suite and where you can just invoke uh, this test suite and it'll run like, okay, the various actors and the various expectations. So you can say like, oh, this is an OAuth app or this is a GitHub app or this is a personal access token or this is the, just a user who logged in, you know, like, and you can, you can, and cause it gets complex when you talk about like, I don't want to go into it. It gets complex. It gets very complex. So um, mapping out a matrix of authorization will help you build unit tests and also later extract and also like just understand your application better, but also let you extract into a microservice later if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we run into that all the time, right? From an authorization perspective, most developers don't, don't understand or don't usually understand the full blown authorization scheme within an application, right? It's, it's, it's usually more difficult than, hey, you've got a user that logs in and then that's it, right? It, I, uh, it, like the roles and everything that goes along with it usually descends to some sort of business logic and um, especially in larger organizations. So there's, there's always problems with authorization. 
<laughs> There's yeah. always problems with authorization is the probably the most accurate statement. It's why it's our, <laughs> like our number one thing in, in the course to talk about. It's because if there's anything that's going to go wrong, it's XSS, which is why you need a content security policy and it's authorization. Those are definitely guaranteed to be problems at some point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, if I look at the last, yeah, the last two, you know, five years, all of the good vulnerabilities that I found were all related to authorization, right? It's, it's usually, you know, oh, they expose something they shouldn't have and an anonymous user can access it or insecure direct object reference or whatever else, right? So, yeah. Yeah, IDOR is one. IDOR is one that's just stupid common. It's just crazy common. It's insane. Happens all the time. <laughs> But um, man, you know, we didn't, cool. we're, five, we're like, we've been going for an hour and we didn't even get to all the other stuff that we got. I want to share one only, I'm not going to talk about it. Just I'll share one other thing. This was cool. It was like using Zap in um, Burp. So I'm just sharing it. Um, we don't have to talk about it. But yeah, uh, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. What the hell did I say? What did I say? Oh my God. Am I having yes, a stroke on, on YouTube? <laughs> like, what am I talking about? Sorry. Using Zap on actions on github actions my god what has happened I, you know what man covid brain that's what i call it covid brain been stuck inside for too long yeah no that's that's a good article everybody should read through it if, i mean it's one way to automate some dynamic testing uh using zap hey I mean, there's a lot of cool things with zap i don't use it quite as often because you know we've been burp for so long but even like the the stuff that Dave Scribonia did with the heads up display, uh, it, it's pretty awesome, right? Like it really does come down to there's some good things to it. So, Damn so man, check, go check it out if you have some time. I, I like constantly keep an eye on segment because I feel like there's so much, and our teams talk too uh, occasionally, um, and we talk because there's just so much overlap and really like they. I don't know. I love watching what segment what segments doing. Um, I don't know, just yeah. maybe just because that's what I like. We try to model, you know, like we all we all are trying to push the envelope on AppSec. So it's pretty fun to talk to other people and figure out what they're doing. And like, yeah, there's so many good like um, I think I mentioned this maybe a month or two or three ago. I can't remember anymore, but I had sat down with one of their folks about threat modeling and just like that's become like my number one goal in life is to have developer self-service uh, threat modeling. Um, and anyways, the way he was like sharing, I was like, man, I was like taking notes. Like, this is great. This is great. Like I can use all this. So it's awesome. Sweet. Knowledge sharing. I don't yeah, know what the point of that was. There was no point. Just, I really like them. You know. Yep. You should, you should go follow, uh, the segment team on, on Twitter, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, leaf and leaf and company. Oh. Um, yeah. cool. Well, I, yeah, like uh, there's other stuff I know we had on our list, but no, we'll get to it at, you know, next week. Um, but I actually think uh, I was trying to remember who we had on next week. Yeah, yeah, I'll pull it up. We've got, uh, gosh, we got a couple. So we got Jessica and Christina um, from, uh, sorry, give me one sec here. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. So Jessica and Christina, uh, Jessica Rosen and Christina, I can't remember the last name. I'm sorry, I will find it here in a second. But, um, and then after that week, like falling in the suit of where, where we were saying we we're doing like, we're trying to do one week just us, uh, where we just talk about things. And then another one where we're, yeah, we're, we're just like, um, uh, we've got guests. We're trying to, to break it up. So, uh, next week is going to be, uh, Jessica and, uh, Christina Lou. I hope I say that right. L I U Christina Lou. And then, um, the week after is just us. And the week after that is, um, Stephen Edwards and Brian Glass. Man, I, I, uh, oh, so yeah, too. it is. It's going to be very fun. Um, more details on that. There's going to yep. be some really good information coming out yeah. of that. Um, man, I honestly, we, we may need to, to, for that one, we may need to consider blocking off like a full, maybe even an hour and a half, just because I, I, I don't think an hour is going to be enough. So, um, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about it. Well, yeah. Yep. We might as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, Christina and Jessica both work at Rocky, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting. They've got some interesting stories um, about, you know, 
how they got into information security and you know what they're currently doing over there. It was I, I, I met up with both of them at um, AppSec California. You know, back when we used to actually see people face to face. You know where uh, you know where uh, Jessica and I talked face face to face, Seth. AppSec California? No, I don't know. <laughs> oh no, it rhymes with Shmahai. And Shmoko Hoko, <laughs> some crazy security conference, or I don't know, right? Whatever. Yeah. Or it doesn't Hoko, exist. Whatever you want to call it. It's, uh, you, you guys are making it up. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So uh, um, that that I'm really excited about. It should be fun. Um, man. Get inside. Have you seen an uptick in scammer calls? By the way, I'm getting so many of these. They're even leaving voicemails. I'm like, wow, how professional of you! It's like, yeah. anyways, that's yeah. that was one of our topics <laughs> for today, which we're not gonna. I'll just you know we're tell it. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk about it. I'll just post a link, and if you wanna if you wanna look at it, look at it. It's from Krebs on security about how a tech person actually got scammed because it was so convincing. So I put it in there yep. if you guys want to check it out. Cool. Cool, man. Good deal. All right. Well, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Find us online. Um, watch for the virtual absolute AppSec days. I don't know. Whatever. Um, we'll, we'll start getting together and see if we can get something on the calendar for that. And yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, get up slide or whatever else, right? Like, let us know if there's something else you want us to talk about. And we'll, we'll see everybody next week. Maybe. <laughs> I think I just lost Ken completely. Yeah, sorry. This cable was like, sorry. My cable was like annoying me. And then I moved it because um, it was like slapping against my leg, this cable. And then, uh, I lo- anyways, I lost you. Sorry. Okay. Well, we'll see everybody next week then. <laughs> On the super professional AppSec podcast. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Later.